I thank God for that pink candle right there. If it wasn't for that pink candle, I probably wouldn't have a lot to say about joy this morning. I think as it's the third week of Advent, I'm sure I would have mentioned it in some list of things that are promised to us through the Incarnation. No sooner than I did, though, I would have moved on to more beautiful ideas like peace and justice and hope. I'm sure I would have talked about our role in the kingdom of God. And I probably would have talked about the difference between the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. Because if you haven't noticed, I do that a lot. That's what would have happened if it wasn't for that pink candle. This morning... When Miss Pauletta joined countless others in liturgical churches around the world in lighting that candle, she did so to remind us that this, the third week of Advent, is set aside for the joy that is promised to us through the Incarnation. So it makes you wonder, if joy is such a compelling force within us that it is highlighted above hope, and peace and love, then why do preachers like me seem to have a hard time preaching about the word joy? I think I might know the answer. Joy is hard to define. I like to be able to measure things, and joy never seems to fit into one category. Peace, peace is pretty cut and dry. Peace, in one sense, is the absence of conflict. It's also this place of contentment within our souls in the midst of the storms that swirl around us each day. Peace is what allowed John the Baptist to continue his work as a prophet while he was in prison and his life was in the hands of a violent and unpredictable tyrant. When we read the words of Isaiah throughout Advent, he lays out a marvelous vision of peace. No violence among the nations. Everyone with their physical, spiritual, and emotional needs met. Even natural predators refuse to attack their prey. Peace is what was with Mary when she sang the words of the Magnificat. Here was a young girl whose life had just been turned upside down. Mary had just been told that she would give birth to the Son of God she would give birth to the Messiah. Now, no one really knows how much she might have known about how his life would end. But I'm sure Mary knew the history of her people. And under centuries of occupation and exile, they had a lot of Messiahs. And because of this, Mary knew that the Messiahs before her son, those chosen to liberate the descendants of Jacob, almost always met a violent end. And her son would be no different. In spite of having every reason to be scared, Mary found the peace to sing a song. He cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to the help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Mary found the peace in her heart to sing a song of hope. And hope is another promise of the incarnation that we celebrate during Advent, 
And hope is easy enough for us to put into words. Hope is the earnest belief that God will keep the promises He made to His people and that He has made to us. God will provide for us the peace which He has promised. The poor will truly be blessed. The blind will see, the dead will rise up, and we will all live as one. Now we've never seen that. And we cannot fathom how this world could escape the cycles that we go through year after year. And still, every year, we celebrate that hope. And love is another gift which lends itself to being operationally defined. The Gospel of John tells us, No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Love is sacrifice and relationship. Love is seeing the image of Christ in all others and extending to them the same mercy and grace that Christ extended to you. Love is recognizing the dignity in every single person. And then we come to joy. And joy is not so easy to define. So that's my mission this morning. Maybe I could talk about joy more easily if I could just measure it. Perhaps I could measure it in moments or in length of time. We see throughout Scripture people rejoicing and experiencing joy, but do we ever really get a clear picture of what that joy actually looks like? We see what happens after the joy, but not during the joy. More often than not, we get figurative language that only describes what joy might be like. We get phrases like, Therefore my heart dances for joy. Be joyful in the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness and become before His presence with a song. Dancing hearts and singing don't really tell us what joy is, but they do show us how to recognize when others are experiencing joy. Joy is hard to define, and too often, when we do fail at it, it can only compound the pain that our neighbors are feeling. Sometimes we confuse joy with happiness. Now most of us have seen through ourselves or through our friends and loved ones the devastating impact of anxiety and depression. We may have dealt with it personally or witnessed other people living it every day. I know as therapists Jessica and I are constantly exposed to anxiety, depression, and trauma that can swallow up the lives of others. If the expectation that the fruit of the Incarnation is happiness, what are these people to make of that promise? Because they live in, with such tragic experiences, they might wonder why they don't live in the joy that the happy people they see around them do. Eventually they may lose faith and hope that God is willing to keep these promises if they're looking for joy or looking for happiness instead of joy. But joy is something much deeper than happiness. Joy is what strengthened martyrs like Stephen and prisoners like Paul and John the Baptist. Joy is what kept Viktor Frankl moving forward despite losing his entire family and living through four different concentration camps during the Holocaust. I think that joy is tied to peace and to justice and to love. Maybe joy is those moments in our lives no matter how long or short, that we are able to catch just a glimpse 
of those promises of the Incarnation. We are able to live in peace, however briefly. We can experience genuine sacramental love with one another. No matter what our situation, we can have those instances where we recognize something that doesn't belong in that moment. A peace that transcends all the turmoil around us. A moment of connection with our neighbor that gives us a warmth like we've rarely felt before. Now this past week, I was reminded of one of those moments in my own life. It was one of those moments where everything around me seemed to melt away and all that was left was friendship and love. When I found out last week that uh, my cousin John had passed away, I spent most of the following week thinking back to this one moment of joy from when we were all kids. I was the youngest of all the cousins, and they'd all come in to Northeast Arkansas for Christmas. I couldn't have been much older than 10, and they decided they were going to go to Taco Bell in Jonesboro a couple of nights before Christmas. And they let me tag along with them, even though I was probably not the coolest 10-year-old. That's not the coolest 41-year-old either. <laughs> now, if we're honest, most moments of joy don't happen before during, or especially after a trip to Taco Bell. <laughs> but this night was a lot different. I seem to remember that this all started with my cousin John. Whether it did or not, he was certainly part of this movement that happened. After we had eaten, we were just kind of hanging out in our booth, enjoying those free refills you get, even if it is Pepsi. And John started in with, Hey Jude, don't make it bad. Now it wasn't long before everyone in the booth was singing. Except for me. You know, I was 10. <laughs> I was still a loser. Uh, I can't recall even hearing Hey Jude before that night. But I don't think I've heard it since without thinking of that one night in a Taco Bell. All it took was one person... Starting in with a song, a song, by the way, that is about finding joy in times of trouble, to create a moment of joy that has stuck with me for decades. It's about Taco Bell. <laughs> it made such an impact that when Jessica and I discovered that we were pregnant 10 years ago, she was pregnant, I wasn't, most of her. <laughs> One of us was. We knew without a doubt that his name was going to be Jude. Obviously that didn't work out quite the way we planned. But the world needs joy. And I can't imagine any child bringing more joy into our lives than Penelope has. These are the moments where the kingdom of God breaks through the kingdom of man. I told you I'd bring them both up. When we live in a moment without fear or suffering... And when we can live in peace and love with one another. They may happen in a Taco Bell. In a desolated Jerusalem. Following years and years of exile. Or in a prison cell. But rest assured, those moments are going to happen in your life. And this is why we spend Advent waiting and preparing. We prepare ourselves to see the glimpses for what they are. Pure God-given joy. 
Now we are waiting, but we aren't idly waiting. We are waiting with the patience of a farmer. Even as we wait for these moments, there is still work to be done. This might be why James used the image of a farmer to talk about patience and waiting on God. We must tend to the soil and to the seeds. We must create an environment in our lives where joy can come. Now, throughout the gardening process, a farmer will pull up weeds that creep in around the plant and threaten its existence. And just like the farmer, sometimes we need need to weed out the things in our own lives that keep joy from blossoming. With patience and preparation, we wait and keep watch. Then, in that moment when joy comes, we will be ready for it. We will be able to let go of all the distractions and fully live in that one holy moment. Everlasting joy shall be upon our heads. We shall receive joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Amen.